0: Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for being here. We are in Hebrews. We're going to finish Hebrews chapter eleven today. Well, yeah, I know. Okay. <laughs> not after not after just a year. I know it's going to be a have a little ceremony afterwards as we say goodbye to chapter eleven. Uh, but chapter eleven, I'm beginning reading in the NIV Hebrews chapter eleven, beginning in verse twenty nine. I'll just read through it and. The, even the author himself is going to start to just list a few names and circumstances. He spent quite a bit of time of laying a foundation for guys like Enoch and Abel and Abraham and, and Isaac, Jacob, all the way through Moses. But when he gets to this point right here, it's kind of like, well, he says, I, I don't have time to continue to keep going. I, this could probably be like, you know, an entire book, I mean, like volumes, chapters. Uh, And so he just gives some names and lists some situations, and we are going to get a little bit into the book of Maccabees today, just to find some illustrations of what he's referring to, because we begin in the book of Hebrews chapter 11, Uh, he begins with Abel, Enoch, now we're going way back to the early chapters of Genesis, moves on to chapter 12, Abraham, uh, goes through the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, uh, mentions Joseph, then the 400 years, and then he's going to get into uh, uh, Moses and the Exodus. And this is right where he kind of leaves off the detailed account. And now he's just going to start mentioning. He's going to mention situations without names. Well, he'll mention names like some of the judges that follow after Moses and get into Samuel and David. But at that point, he's just going to say, uh, he'll mention Samuel Just say, and, and the rest of the prophets and then we'll say talk about situations where some were were flogged some were stoned some were uh sawn in half and now he's talking about some what we would say I, I'll be careful right here things that are not in the scriptures but are written in jewish history like the the assumption of of isaiah it talks about him being sawed in half by uh, manasseh the the wicked king uh and jeremiah being stoned we know he was taken down to egypt when the israelites fled from nebuchadnezzar falsely the second time they didn't need to but they disobeyed and they fled and took him down there and and jeremiah's last prophecies in the bible are recorded while in egypt predicting that this is nebuchadnezzar's next stop and historically it was then we lose track of him uh we don't know what happens uh history or the jewish tradition Says he was stoned to death by the jews and if you read his final comments final times with the jews uh, They were still mad at him even though everything he told them was going to happen And all his whole life was spent trying to deliver them at the end. They're still upset and they That's how the bible ends in the jeremiah account So the fact that he was stoned isn't I mean it, it follows the sequence of course jeremiah's not gonna be able to write down His own stoning account obviously well, then after the old testament closes We're going to, and now we're writing in 63 AD on the other side of the cross. During this time between the closing of the Old Testament and the arrival of John the Baptist, you're going to have, you know, roughly they say 400 years, the 400 silent years. But Jewish history was still taking place. And we have during this time, uh, say 167 to 164, Uh, that would be the time of the beginning of the Maccabean BC. This is BC the beginning of the Maccabean revolt against the Seleucid Empire, I'll address that here in a little bit, and the rise of Antiochus Epiphanes, or Antiochus IV, and his persecution of the Jews, where he's trying to uh, bring them all into Hellenism or Greek culture. He stops their sacrifices, stops their, uh, the, the readings of their scriptures, stops their religious practices, the dietary laws, makes them eat pig meat, uh, and some just to keep peace are going to eat it and just go along with because it's like we just want peace we just want to live our daily lives which speaks to you today and uh some are going to like say absolutely not now the writer in hebrews is going to talk about some victories uh in these verses where they're going to conquer kingdoms the dead are going to be raised people are going to be delivered because of faith they trust god but others also trust god but they are not going to receive what we would say victory in this age they've got to wait for their victory in the next age they're here to testify to the truth and the world is going to oppose them and then he begins listing all a whole list of negative things which would include Isaiah's death Jeremiah's death other persecutions that took place and then a whole list of things it's like where are you who are these people well because he's jewish the writer is jewish writing in 63 a.d. in jerusalem this if you look at the date right here 167 bc add let's just say okay see if i can do this on the board six 167 bc plus 63 a.d oh good that's an easy number 12 13 okay 230 years this right here the days of the maccabees the maccabean revolt was closer to them than the american revolution is to us is that correct is that a true statement 1770 okay yeah yeah because i remember the 200th anniversary in 1976 okay we had those special coins remember the special bi- bicentennial quarters and, that's <laughs> and <it's laughs> okay yeah do you ever see those in circulation those bicentennial quarters anymore i, I don't do you even see coins in circulation <laughs> anymore it's like. uh so anyway this the, this account the Maccabean account was Closer than the American Revolution was to us. And so for him to draw examples from this time period of events that took place in their city to their great-grandparents or great-great-grandparents. Uh, I had a couple great-great-grandfathers. Uh, I had one, two, I had four fight in, great-grandfathers fighting the Civil War. Then you go great, 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 great. I've got a couple records of documents of, of them fighting in the American Revolution. Uh, now, again, so I guess blame blame my family. Uh, that's what cancel culture is doing today. But some of my ancestors weren't here yet either. So, I mean, so we're, we're clean on one side of the family, the other side of the family, we're the problem. It's like, okay, whatever. Uh, that, I'm getting way off subject, obviously. But anyway, this time period right here, he's gonna refer to some of the persecution that takes place. And I've got some things written down there out of the book of Maccabees. Not saying the book of Maccabees is part of scripture, but it is Jewish history, or at least the things that, they had written down according to their history. So they are referring to those books of maccabees So that's, that's what we're going to see here. Uh, and I do, not think, I do not think he's going to be using New Testament examples of people being persecuted, although he could be. He's looking back at their forefathers, and now it's our time to face opposition, he's telling them. And just like we've had some victories, some opposition, we're all waiting for the victory, the ultimate victory, and it's going to be attained by faith. If it's a victory in time, or if it's a victory in eternity, you're only going to get there by staying true to the Word of God, by having faith in God. So here we begin. He's ending the, the account of Moses and talking about the people uh, crossing over the Red Sea. I know there's a lot of verses, but we will get through it today. Uh, uh, maybe okay chapter 11 verse 29 by faith the people that was the exodus generation passed through the red sea as on dry land but when the egyptians tried to do so they were drowned by faith the walls of jericho fell after the people had marched around them for seven days notice right there the people are given credit for having faith the people in verse 29 had faith to cross the red sea then he skips 40 years because the people became disobedient in the wilderness and wouldn't listen, and because they were in the wilderness for 40 years because of unbelief, very clearly stated even earlier in these chapters of Hebrews. And then, 40 years later, they finally cross the Jordan and by, by faith, the walls of Jericho fall, and then grabs a Canaanite, grabs Rahab as an example of faith. Now, this is not unique. Even James, who writes the book of James, uses her as an example also uh because and there james takes and says she had faith but we see her faith by what she did now this author let's do this real quickly just kind of point this out because what this chapter is about there's faith this is what you believe this is what you're committed to that you know to be the truth then there's going to be uh we'll just say i'll use the word ethics that's based on what what you think is right And it has to be in agreement with your faith. What God has said, what God's character describes, these are the ethics of what's right and wrong. And then we can add to this, and you can can combine these two, deeds or works. Okay, and so you could put the ethics and deeds, all that together. But I'm pointing this out because this chapter has been about faith because we see in this chapter many times the people that were used especially when you look at their entire life look at the entire life of abraham the entire life of jacob the entire life of isaac it's like especially some of the names we're going to throw out here some of the judges it's like their ethics were like hmm, questionable i mean again the 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 example is god the example is god's nature the the goal is his word that's transforming our souls just because you say, my goal is to be conformed into the image of Jesus Christ, does not mean you are conformed in the image of Jesus Christ. And that becomes a problem on a, in, a, in a whole spectrum of, of judgmental situations of people looking at Christians. Well, that's not very Christian. Right, because that they're aiming towards the goal of Jesus Christ. Now, there is that idea of are you trying or have you just given up? Uh, these people. And then during life, as you probably know, you fluctuate. There's times where you're walking towards God, then you start to drift, and you've got to readjust, confess your sins, and get back in line. These people throughout, in chapter 11, consistently showed that they had faith, that they, they would stumble, they would fall, but their ethics sometimes were questionable. That's not the topic of this chapter. This is going to be the topic of chapter 12. You want to see ethics and moral standards and what we're expected to do as Christians? That's coming Hopefully, beginning next week. Right now, we're talking about ethics. The other thing, if you've got faith, you're going to have to have deeds. This is what the book of James is about. Even Martin Luther, uh, beginning in the Reformation, had trouble with the book of James because James is really pushing the Christian towards works, which is the right thing to do. The problem is if you don't have faith, you don't have ethics, and you just have these hypocritical deeds that make you look like a Christian, that's what's wrong with teaching a list. These are the ten things Christians do. Forget the ten things Christians do. Do you have faith? Do you understand who God is? Are you going to imitate, try to conform into his image and become a child of God? And now you're going to start doing these. These are called in the correct definition these are called fruit it's the fruit of your faith you don't have you don't just go out and beat a tree and want fruit you plant the tree you water the tree you nourish the tree how is the christian nourished with the truth with the word of god and it will transform their life and they'll pretty soon begin to produce fruit if you want to go legalistic it becomes works you don't you don't need you don't need the word of god to produce works you just need a list these are the 10 things we do in our club as This is our Christian club. These are the 10 things we do. And it's like, you don't know God. You don't know faith. You're going to fail because you have no foundation. Nonetheless, James already understands faith. He already understands ethics. But he's talking to his people as he's writing, probably around 48 A.D., talking about deeds or works. If you've got faith... Faith is proven by works. If I don't see any works, or if I don't see any fruit, Jesus even said, you'll know them by their fruits. You got these false teachers, these false prophets. Well, it sounds like they're saying the right thing. Right, forget what they're saying. What are they doing? Are they doing it the right way? And again, both, all of this is important. James focuses on the deeds. And that's where Rahab comes up. He says, even Rahab demonstrated her faith by what she did when she hid the spies. She just didn't say something. She actually risked her life to accomplish something. And again, sometimes the work, and that would go into what uh, all these people are eventually going to do. They're going to demonstrate their faith in what they're doing. The focus of this chapter, though, is faith. So we continue here, reading about, we're introducing Rahab now. By faith, verse 31, by faith, the prostitute Rahab, and that word prostitute means... Uh, a, a secular prostitute. It doesn't mean a temple prostitute. A lot of times there were temple prostitutes, and that's how you'd make communion with your God. You'd engage in sexual activities with the temple prostitutes. Uh, helps religion. Really, some of those religions really took off uh, as far as growth. Uh, but this is actually uh, the word prostitute. Some people say, "Well, it means innkeeper." Uh, that's you're you're in Sunday school. that Someone's trying to tone it down so you're not offended but she was a secular prostitute who ran an inn. uh, That's what the word means. There it is. By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. So she could have been a hero for the city of Jericho as Joshua's two spies came into her city and stayed with her. She knows who they are. She goes to them and says, hey, in fact, she had them hidden. Goes and says, I know you're, we should go back and read the account, but then, I know your God, your Lord, is going to take this land. We watched what happened 40 years ago. We've watched what took place in the wilderness. We've watched across the, the events that took place on the other side of the Jordan, the destroying of the Ammonites, uh, and, and, uh, and uh, well, they passed Edom, but then they had trouble with the Ammonites uh, and, and King Bashan uh they they'd seen they can they can see the the crowd on the other side you can see across the dead sea into jordan from jericho i mean it's it's you just keep going down and you can see and then in the background miles away you can see the mountains so they saw all these things and they know they're next so she says we know your lord has given you this land and she says i'll let you go but please i will help you but you've got to make sure that when you come you spare me and my family and they made the agreement they would that's the first thing it does. She's delivered, and as you know, the story goes, she married one of the spies who became the, the, the grandparents of Boaz, who married Ruth, who is the father, grandmother of David. And they had Jesse and then David. And so she's going to be in the line of the Messiah. So anyway, the faith of the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. Now, this is, this is the verse we've been waiting for. Because each of those so far, I could stop and talk, you know, a couple weeks on each of those situations. But right here, <clears throat> finally, the author says, and what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about. Then he gives you starts giving you a list. Which kind of I, I you know, I think about this, I could go through and, and explain everything mentioned here and find the historical account, which which maybe I should do. But even the author is saying, I could just keep going down historical example and telling you story after story after story. But he's kind of rushing now to chapter 12. Let's get back, let's get back to where we're going. Uh, and what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets. So we could talk, we'll mention those each in a moment. Who through faith conquered kingdoms. This is the victories they won in time. Who conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised who shut the mouths of lines. Even as we're reading this, you can, you're you know, aligning the names with the person. You're like, okay, this is the situation. Eventually, you're going to run out of names and you're just going to have situations like, I don't know who did that. I would assume someone did that. But we can tell you, you know, who did conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned into strength. And that's a promise in the New Testament. When you're weak, Paul says, or when I'm weak, then I am strong. Because you're trusting your flesh, you're weak. When you can't trust your flesh, you've got to lean on God. And now your weakness becomes strength because you're counting on God. And so in their case, their weakness became strength. And who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. Now in the middle of verse 35, it switches from the temporal victories. Others, he says now these are going to be they didn't get temporal victory but they suffered in faith knowing i may not get it here but i'm not giving up because there's something bigger taking place so you are living a life that's striving for victory in the temporal world but you're also striving for victory in eternity now both of them are possible at different times you can be successful in life and go on into eternity to great rewards But when it comes time for choosing, when you're going to have to sacrifice your eternal commitment, your eternal rewards for now a temporal success, that's where this verse changes. All of a sudden, people were not all as a community or as a nation trying to strive for God's goal. All of a sudden, it switched, and it became what we'd say simply evil. And you had to compromise your eternal values to be successful or victorious in this temporal age. That's where the people of faith say, no, we'll we, we strive for God's goals here on earth, but once we've got to start striving for goals that are not godly, we give up trying and we will have to face, here it is. Others were tortured and refused to be released so that they might gain a better resurrection. Some face jeers and flogging. Again, just notice that. A better resurrection. It doesn't say that they might receive a resurrection. It's in the NIV, a better resurrection. Now, you've got to read other translations and study this a little bit. But you know about losing your salvation, it doesn't say others were tortured and refused to be released so that they might gain a resurrection. No, you've got resurrection because of Jesus Christ. You have faith in Christ. You are born again. What's on those scales, what's being weighed out, is not your eternity, not your eternal life, but what quality, what rewards you're going to get. You compromise here. You're not, in a sense, sacrificing your salvation, but you are sacrificing the rewards that could be yours. And that's how how this reads in the NIV. Others were tortured and refused to be released so that they might gain a better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging. Still, while still others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned. They were sawed in two. They were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. In other words, they were not going to drop to the, the evil level of the world. They were going to just go ahead and be persecuted and be extinguished and go on into eternity the world was not worthy of them they wandered in deserts and mountains and in caves and holes in the ground just so you know the, that last list destitute persecuted mistreated uh, wandered in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground those would be people who had come against the evils of society now not not every society is evil every society is of this age But societies can be pursuing the things of God as far as righteousness or reality. We talk about the basic institutions, individual responsibility, uh, marriage, family, uh, government, nationalism. Those are the the beginning of the the institutions that God established for the well-being of mankind. But when nations start coming against these things, coming against family, coming against nationalism... Not that, and again, remember, nationalism is not you always trying to defeat the other nations. Nationalism is you are a nation and you're working along with other nations, but you are a separate identity. It's kind of like families. Not everybody's got the same family. Well, because there's a neighborhood of families here, it doesn't mean I'm trying to burn down all the other houses. It means in here I have a family. Well, used to have a family. Now I've just got a wife. Or a wife's got me. I'm not sure. But But we take care of our business in cooperation with the other communities nationalism doesn't mean you're trying to conquer the world it means you're living at peace in harmony with the other nations recognizing their own individual responsibilities as a nation or autonomy autonomy would be the better word marriage start coming against marriage or coming against responsibility when a culture starts helping people shirk their responsibilities for some kind of manipulation i don't know think of an example okay yes right we've got like 30 of them right there now all of a sudden your society is no longer we're not talking about pursuing jesus christ although that is the goal but still you can pursue the things of god like we just mentioned and still be a right and you can function in that society once that society turns you're going to have to be destitute you're going to be rejected you're going to be wandering living in caves and and deserts and and being abandoned and that's that's where people end up people of faith that understand realize when there's a time it's like i i no longer can fit in here because i have to become evil my standard my priorities my values are now evil they're anti-god not necessarily labeled anti-god but when you understand individual responsibility family marriage government responsibility nationalism and personal things as far as following the example of Jesus Christ and the Word of God, when you realize they're coming against that, it's like, well, I can't embrace that. And you'll end up outside of society. So some of these people were sawed in half, some of them were stoned, some of them died by the sword, and others just left society. They just had to live, they couldn't fit in anymore. It says, verse 34 is that no 39 these were all commended for their faith now if you want to talk about works and deeds and ethics they they're all doing things in their life that demonstrate their faith in this example these were all commended for their faith yet none of them received what had been promised they were all waiting god had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect they were looking for, out here, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So faith is based on some kind of knowledge. There's, faith is based, according to this book, according to this chapter, it's based on some kind of evidence. You know something. You know there's a God. Why? Because he visited you? No. you Maybe. But you know there's a God because uh, of creation. And we can go down that the. the, the the natural or the general revelation that reveals God. Romans 1 even says it reveals his character. Nature itself reveals his nature. It's organized. It's got, it, it's got your needs are met. It's systematic. Uh, it, it's caring. It's got personal relationships. There's a relationship within nature. This all reveals the character of God. There are many gods that religions claim to follow that don't match the creation. Which nullifies the fact that this God created this God doesn't even this character doesn't even match the world that we live in, Wh- whatever world you live in it has to match the character of your God and for the Bible matches the God of the Bible matches creation so we have some faith we have some evidence we also have the Word of God and so we we know these things these are in a sense facts. It's very popular in the secular humanistic age that we live in, uh, now becoming po- now is postmodern, to say, well, we don't know. It's like, that's, that's, that's garbage. We do know. You do know. There is No one is without excuse. If you say, well, we don't know if there's a God, that's on you, because you know there is a God. That, that's, it's like, you can go through, and if you want to say there's no, and it, you've been convinced universities... Be, the whole culture has convinced us. Well, we don't really know, and that's now in the postmodern age. It's we're almost out of hope. We're almost out of hope of reaching our culture because they've been trained to just go dumb. I mean, and we're talking the '60s and the '70s. We're not talking today. We're talking our whole lives. These facts. Now there are things that God is doing that we don't know. That He has not revealed to us. So we anticipate them by faith. He's told us about them. He's given us promises. He's given us directions. And we're heading here. So by faith, we understand this. I do not know. I've never seen it. I can't measure it. But I know these things, just like a relationship. I know these things about Tony. These are the things I don't know. Well, because I know these things about my wife, I understand this is probably where we're going with this. I don't know everything she's thinking. But... I have a general idea. I can trust what she's thinking or where she's going. And that is what faith is. Now, these people all died in faith not having received this. They, they didn't. This right here, whatever this is, they died before they got it. They died in faith waiting to get this. Now, this is going to be two answers right here. What were they waiting for? Again, I, I, you can kind of go back and forth and make a decision here. Uh, one... The way it seems to be written is they were waiting for Christ and the things that take place because of Christ. And we know the thing, in this book, we know the things that have taken place because of Christ because this whole book is about the old covenant and the new covenant. The old covenant was good, but the new covenant is what? Better. The old covenant had sacrifices, but the new covenant has a better eternal sacrifice, Jesus himself. The Old Covenant had a priesthood. The New Covenant has a better priesthood. It's got better uh, promises. It's got a better covenant. It's got a better priest. It's got a better sacrifice. So... All those people that die, if he's talking Old Covenant, New Covenant, and that's kind of the tension of this book, is they are in the New Covenant. They are believers in Christ, but they're looking back, not going back to selling drugs on the street or some other wicked practice. They're being tempted to go back to the Old Covenant and trust the Old Covenant on Mount Sinai, to trust the priesthood that's functioning there in the temple yet in 63 A.D., uh, to trust the sacrifice of animal sacrifices, to trust the promises of the Mosaic Covenant, which are based on you do what's right, you get blessed, you do what's wrong, you get cursed. Th- that's not a good promise. Even That's what the book of Galatians is about. Anyone who is trusting the law is under a curse because the law says be perfect, and when you're not, I'll have to discipline you. It's like, okay, I'll do that. Well, okay, you're going to fail, so let's you go to the curse column where this covenant right here, it's in Christ. Christ has provided the sacrifice once and for all. He is the priesthood now who was the sacrifice, who is in heaven representing you before God. So the very one who died for your sins is in front of God, presenting your sacrifice and interceding for you, representing you there. It's a better covenant. You come to Christ, he takes care of you. Now, the spirit comes and you're supposed to start being transformed, but there is transformation in this covenant you can actually start living by the power of the spirit When we talk about the power of the spirit in some modern churches the power of the spirit is you know bazoom, like some kind of superhero there's you know like old batman shows a pow zam boom oh the power of the spirit you know and people are dropping over and people are dancing and rolling on the floor look the power okay no in, in the bible the power of the spirit is you used to be this way And now you've accepted Christ. He set the Spirit into you. And now you are a different way. You are now understanding. He's revealing to you the truth. That truth is transforming your life. You've got now power over sin. Not that you're perfect, but you now have the power to walk away from things that had you entrapped, that had you taken captive. You have the power of the Spirit to walk above sin, to walk above the ways of the world. That's the power. And Paul talks about the power of the Spirit. That's what he's talking He's not talking about people falling over while you pray for them. He's talking about you actually living a transformed life, like you're a new creature, like you have new life. That's the power of the Spirit. And so with that being said, these people that he just got done talking about all died in faith, not having received the promise. But then he says this, as I'm reading the NIV, the last verse, God had planned something better for us, talking now 63 AD to the believers in Jerusalem, for us, that only together with us would they be made perfect. So it almost gives us a sense right there that together with us right now, we now have been made perfect. Now, positionally, there are two truths, not two truths, po oh boy, talking and spelling, positional, okay, scribble, there you go, positional truth. Uh, we are today, as believers in Christ, you are in Christ. You are born again. You have eternal life. You are seated with Christ in heavenly places, positionally. Meanwhile, we're down here. We're sitting here. We are struggling with our own sin nature. We are going to die. Even though we have eternal life, we're all facing death. So positionally, we are in Christ and these things are true positionally. They're done. The full manifestation has not taken place yet. So in that sense, these people that died before were waiting for, along with us, for Christ to come to do the work on the cross, to be raised to life, and now we can partake of the newness of life. And that would seem to be the theme of this book, is don't go back. All those people before were waiting for what you already have. Stay with Christ. They now can You can join with them, and now we are all, just like they, you know, when people of the Old Testament or before the time of Christ died, they went into the underworld, and upon the resurrection, captivity was set free, and they were taken into the presence of Christ. So that when we die now, we don't go to the underworld, we go to Heaven, we go to where Christ is at. We go to be with Him, and so positionally, we're that way. The other idea is eternal, and both of these can be true. This seems to be that matches the theme of the book and kind of where we're going. But this also matches because uh, they're all died waiting for something bigger. They're not going to get it on this age, and like you, you're not going to get it on this age you're going to have you positionally you're in christ you've got new life you've got the spirit you've got a better covenant better priesthood but it's going to still come a point where society or your culture or your people are going to go astray go after evil and you're going to have to stay with the truth and you will be isolated you will have to confront that with the truth sometimes you'll confront evil with the truth and overcome sometimes you'll con con confront a a collapsing culture with the truth and that culture will recover and you'll attain the victory in this age but other times you won't it's not going to be until jesus christ establishes his kingdom that we will actually be perfect at the resurrection of the body that body will not die see all of us are still dying all of us still have a sin nature but at the resurrection, at the kingdom, we have a resurrected body. It won't die. It's separated from the sin nature. And together with us, they will be made perfect. Do you understand what I'm saying? This is talking about right now, positionally, it's, it's done. We're in the new covenant along with them. But also, it can be talking about we're all waiting. We may face persecution just like they did. And in a sense, both of them are true. And he would be saying to them, in this case... Don't give this up because they were waiting for this and they could never have it. You now can walk away from the old covenant into the new covenant and participate of the good things that we already have. But also like them, they're not going to get it in this age. They had to die and wait until eternity. You also may face persecution. In fact, they are facing persecution in 63 AD and are, like we said, what? 72 months, uh, 63, 64, 5, 6... Uh, yeah, they're 48 months away from the Jewish wars with Rome, which will end their entire culture. And so they are looking at persecution from their culture, their city, their religion, but they're also looking at about 48 months away from being overthrown by the Gentiles. Okay, with that being said, that was, I guess, the introduction. We go to uh, (laughs) page one of the notes, and... uh, Very quickly, uh, chapter 11, verse 29, this is the English standard version now. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do do the same, or drowned, uh, the idea is there, the people were crossing in faith. Notice verse 29 and verse 30, they're talking about the people having faith not moses having faith not joshua having faith although they could do that they're talking about a people group having faith which is very interesting because this is a list of individuals but now you're talking about a people group having faith and great things happening uh verse 11 chapter 11 verse 30 by faith the walls of jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days and as you know They had to follow the priests with the Ark of the Covenant around the city once every day for seven days. And on the last day, went around seven times and they played the trumpets and shouted and the walls came crashing down. Again, that'd be fun right now to spin off into a two-week study on the fall of Jericho and the archaeology that's been there. I've been there a couple of times. Uh, It's very, very, both times been very, very hot. I mean, extremely, very dry, but very, very, very hot. And you can see... Okay, I can't go there, but you can see the Jordan River from there. There's a spring of water I drank out of right, right out of the ground, which I'm not sure is smart or not, but it's, it's pure water coming out of the ground. It's Elisha's spring. So the book of uh, the Kings talks about Elisha and the water there. That was at one time a, a housing, or a, a, the school of the prophets were located there. But anyway, Jericho, the walls fell. You can still see. I do have a picture. I've got a picture. I used to have a picture hanging up somewhere, the walls of Jericho. I've got it in my cabinet here. Uh, You can still see the, the walls fell, but they were mud blocks on top of a retaining wall, the rock retaining wall that held the dirt of the city in. Then the wall was built up, and the wall that fell were the mud bricks that collapsed. In fact, you can still see, like Rahab's house, it says, was on the wall or attached to the wall. And you can still see, I've got pictures of it, I touched it. You can still see the brick, the mud bricks of houses that were outside the retaining wall. Now, the retaining wall didn't fall because that was just the retaining wall. The wall on top of it collapsed. And you can see that the walls fell out, which is not a normal siege. A siege, the walls are pushed in. These walls fell out and some of them still remain as far as the base of the houses. But anyway, that would be a fun thing to talk about. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell. The people were obedient, and it happened. Now, listen. Just like we've got written down in verse 29. I didn't read through it. It's like, what caused it? Well, here it says the people's faith. But we also know it was God. But when you do the geology you realize there's some kind of earth tremor, some kind of earthquake that caused it. And then you can add it to all the other Bible stories. It was actually an angel. So you've got God doing it. We've said this a thousand times. But it's angels being actively engaged in it, causing a natural event to make it happen. But the people are standing there in faith, believing and obeying God, watching and waiting for it to happen. So who gets credit? God, the angels, the natural event, or the people's faith? Well, it depends on what story you're reading. It's like all of them are given, all of them are co- working at the same time. So they're not, it's not a contradiction. Like the, the, Moses raised the staff and the Red Sea parted. God caused the Red Sea to part. But if you read it, the east wind blew the water and caused the water to part. And again, it doesn't anything about angels, except we know throughout that whole account, angels are involved in all of it. So it's like, it, it's, it's, it's not a contradiction. So as soon as you prove, well, that was just a natural event that caused it right because we live in a natural world that god created and so if god cre- the whole world's natural but god created it out of nothing at his word okay uh, then verse 32 oh wait verse, verse 31 by faith rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient then you wonder how many people could have come to faith i mean it says she was the only one her and her family which is also interesting her family was brought in was there, was there other opportunities? Any time, uh, you can ch- 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 uh, check this out, Anytime time a people actually come in faith to the Israelites, they're accepted. You say, well, these people are have to be destroyed. It's like, once they come to faith, it's like, yeah, no, you're in. It's not, not a matter of nationality. It's a matter of faith, of understanding the true God. Now, again, we could track that down more. And then uh, again, there you see the word prostitute is zonah, in joshua 2 1 means a secular harlot and not a temple prostitute and again if you disagree with that do your word studies and get your information Uh, but you're gonna have to do a bunch of linguistic gymnastics through the hebrew to get where you want to go instead of just reading it for what it means but that's you know chapter 11 verse 32 and what more shall i say for time would fail me to tell now this is the author saying this For time would fail me to tell about, now notice these guys' names are not in historical order. They match an Old Testament reference from one of the prophets when he mentions them earlier. He follows that pattern instead of a chronological, so far everything's been chronological. But right here, the chronological order breaks down. I do not have time to, time will fail me to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah of David and Samuel and the prophets. And, and the prophets would be Isaiah, Jeremiah, all the way through the minor prophets. And here we go. You know these accounts. And this is where I, as a Bible teacher, want to take you back for the next seven years through all these verses and tell you all the stories and all the archaeological evidence. But here we go. Summing up, Gideon fought Midian, but at first he did not believe. Remember, he's the one who put out the fleece. The angel tells him, go. He said, well, I want to test this. And then he, put the he puts it out a couple of different times. But Gideon... And then the sad story about Gideon, D- Gideon did rise up and do the work, but then everybody brought Gideon a piece of gold from the plunder of the Midianites. And interesting, when they fought the Midianites, they had crescent moons on all their camels, which is interesting because there was already a God there with the name that matches the Islam God. And it's, it's just the moon God has just been handed. Up. You can chase it from the days of the judges up through the time of the return to a uh uh sanbele who was part of the samaritans you can trace all the way up until 600 650 a.d and it just it continues it's the same image the same god that had it's just you know so it's old but it's, it's it's one of the former or not former, but one of the pagan gods one of the sons of god if you want to go down that route it's just interesting it just hasn't gone away it's always been there that's another whole story i referred it in the jerusalem book just a little bit uh anyway they all brought him a piece of gold and then he takes and melts it down and makes an ephod and makes himself into some kind of a priest some kind of a a tent they build their own temple so right away he more, no more than gets israel delivered then he ends up leading him into some form of idolatry and establishes his own priesthood his own sons and that deteriorates quickly so again it's interesting mentioned a man of faith he responded but then did a variety of other things that were not what we'd say very mature barik fought Sisera. This is, again, the Canaanites, again, uh, coming from the north, that they're going to battle. I mean, it's a great story, especially for our culture right here, especially for our culture right now. Uh, but Sis, uh, Barak was called by uh, Deborah, the prophetess, who was the judge of the land leading the people, because everyone else had given up. I mean, this is a great story. Everyone else had given up. They had given their weapons over to the Canaanites. They had disarmed, it says, because false gods had come in and they disarmed themselves. And the Canaanites just started running over them. And in the account, it says, the streets had been abandoned, crime that you couldn't travel, you couldn't go anywhere, it was just chaos. And then it says, until I, a mother in Israel, I, Deborah, arose. It's like, it was a mother. Deborah says, i finally had enough it's like we can't live like this and a mother rose up and took control of the situation and she calls the general barric and says it's time god says go fight them and you will win he's ah no 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 i ain't gonna go unless you go now was that an act of faith no 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 you're the prophetess i'm gonna follow you in the battle or is that kind of like hey I'm a man of my culture. I'm not taking any chances. I don't think I'm very good. I'm not going to succeed in anything. Life is best just sitting in your living room playing video games. I'm not going to play any real war games. She says, fine. She says, but a woman now will have the victory. And that's where J.L. drives a tent peg through the general's head where she lures him into her tent, gives him a glass of milk, he falls asleep. And while he's asleep, she drives a tent peg which would have been this long in through his temple and pins it into the ground you say well that's a crazy story well no part of the culture was women were the ones who set up the tents and so she from a little girl had been driving tent take boom with these mallets and all she did she probably could swing a hammer better than me and she came in right This was the w- one swing like right here right right here boom and it's like yeah he's dead and it's like and that was the man they were afraid of so deborah says go he says no And then she says, a woman's going to win the battle, and it was Jael. A woman was staying home with the kids. He came in to sleep in the tent, and she pinned him to the ground. Uh, But nonetheless, he's, you know, you don't hear Deborah. Where's Jael and Deborah's name in this? But Beric fought Sisera, the commander of the Canaanites, and his chariots. Uh, I I write this, but at first Beric refused to fight unless Deborah went. And as things went on, of course, then he's going to be the general, the great general. It's like, anyway, he's mentioned because he does go to battle after several challenges. And you know we're at the bottom of the barrel right here, verse 3 or point 3, Samson. I mean, mean, we don't have time to go through all of his blunders. He fought the Philistines, but his life was filled with weakness. And so that's why I say the ethics, we're talking about men that had faith, people that had faith through this, uh, not ethics and maturity, which, I mean, we're not... Now, again, in chapter 12, we're going to now talk about we got to run the race we've got to go on to maturity and that's that's what this next chapter is going to be about he's establishing the, the ideal of faith right here we're not going to abandon ethics and good deeds but we've got to start with faith do you believe the truth uh jephthah oh here's a loser story jephthah again i don't have time to build the whole thing up but jephthah was called and he was like kind of an outcast but he was called to go fight and no one wanted to fight with him and so he went undid and got eventually got something going uh, he defeated the Ammonites, but he's so excited about the victory, he says that when I get back, the first thing that comes out of the house, I'm going to sacrifice to Yahweh. Now, you can read this story in Sunday school uh, definition if you want to. And, you know, his daughter's the first thing that comes out of the house. And, and, and then he, she just couldn't get married. She just had to live alone and be, be a, a, a virgin her whole life. And uh, he dedicated her to the Lord, and she worked in the temple or tabernacle or something. Yeah, that's a nice try. Uh, But the text seems to be very clear. The first thing that comes out of the house, hoping it's like, what, a chicken or a goat or something? And it's his daughter comes dancing out celebrating, and he'd made a vow to Yahweh that the first thing he saw, he would dedicate to the Lord. So he gives her a couple of days to go off into the wilderness, or not wilderness, but off with her friends and have a little going-away party and comes back and apparently sacrifices her to Yahweh. Uh, which, it's like, well, that's strange. No, 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 not in a Canaanite culture. Now, well, these are Israelites. Right, but they're in a Canaanite culture. You're Christians, but you're in a secular humanistic culture. You understand the difference? Well, we're Christians, right, but you've been trained as a secular humanist. You're living in postmodern culture, and I'm going to be a Christian. I'm going to, be, I'm going to do the right thing for God. Whatever is tolerant, I'm going to tolerate. I don't want to be judgmental. Okay, that's as stupid as Jephthah sacrificing his daughter. God doesn't want his do- Jephthah's daughter sacrificed. But Jephthah's understanding of Yahweh is... A human sacrifice because it's all around him. And same thing with Christians. Here's God's standard, but because we're secular humanists in a postmodern culture, and you should never be angry, you should never judge, you should never be critical, and just tolerate because God loves everyone. Well, that's wrong. That's wrong. And those people are flat out against God. Oh, 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 that's not the Christian way. Right. So we'll welcome you in our church. In fact, you can speak at our next conference. Would you like to speak at church? You can be on the board. It's like all of a sudden, it's like, what? You've got now a secular, humanistic, postmodern church. You're doing the same thing Jephthah did. It's like, to us, it's like, well, that was stupid. In eternity, people watching in heaven from all the ages of church history, looking down at us right now, it's like, what? It's Laodicea. You're to be pitied more than anyone. You say you're rich, you're wealthy, you have all that you need, but you're wretched, you're poor, you're pitiful, you're naked, you're blind. All of history is looking down at our culture, which is based on truth, based on a Christian culture, looking at us going, how did you get here? It's one thing to crawl yourself out of a pagan culture and be a Christian, but it's nothing to be born in a Christian society, a Christian culture, and de- deconstructed into postmodernism. And the church is helping. Nonetheless, that was a little message there, but that's Jephthah. He was a man of faith, but he did something, made a rash vow, and ended up sacrificing his daughter. Now, if you want <clears throat> to go back and re-explain Judges chapter 11, the story of Jephthah that all she did was she had a, just couldn't get married and was a virgin her whole life and never got married, it does say she never got married but i don't think right she never got married because she got sacrificed and you say well that would never be in the bible well look at abraham and isaac i mean isaac was on the altar okay a uh, david he would be one that conquered kingdoms solomon or david maybe one that administered injustice it's coming up and then samuel manifests the gift of the prophet and others would follow him beginning with samuel even beginning with moses there was always a prophet from the time of Moses I've got it in the framework book the chain of prophets he's got a consistent chain from Moses especially from Samuel all the way down to Malachi there was always a prophet in the palace there was always a prophet in the streets there's always a prophet it's like a handoff sometimes it was 40 years sometimes it'd be just one message but there was always a prophet they were, Israel was never without a priesthood and Israel was never without a prophet. In fact, in the book of Ma- Ma- Maccabees, when Judas Maccabeus takes the temple back, the Temple Mount back, the a pig blood, a pig flesh had been offered on the altar, and they, they got to take it apart and cleanse it. But they didn't know what to do because there's nothing in the Bible, nothing in the text, in the Mosaic Law. And what do you do to, with an altar? He says, just take all the stones and set them over there And when a prophet arises, we'll ask the prophet. They know there's nothing in the text, and we have no. They knew there were no prophets in the land, that had been established at some point. The prophets prophets had stopped. It was in the Jewish culture. There is a prophet from Moses through Samuel all the way up until, say, Malachi, and somewhere at that point, even as Malachi closes his book, uh, they realize, uh uh-oh, God just shut down the prophecy. And they knew for that 400-year period, and that's why there's no what we call scriptural books. So there's no prophet writing. There's history books, but there's no prophet. And the prophet that came, that broke that, was John the Baptist. And when John the Baptist shows up, because that's how Malachi comes. The day of the Lord, uh, the, he'll re- bring Elijah back. And John the Baptist, Jesus even says, was in the spirit of Elijah. The angel Gabriel says he'll go forth in the spirit of Elijah. Jesus called him Elijah. He was, not that he was Elijah, the same person, but he had the ministry of Elijah. What's interesting, uh, because from Samuel, it goes all the way through the prophets, but there is an ending to the prophets. Um, chapter 11, verse 33. Who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, and stopped the mouths of lions. And here we go, Who conquered kingdoms, David. Who administered justice? Solomon was known for being able to solve difficult judicial problems. Gained what was promised, the promised land in David and Solomon's day. They gained the promised land that was promised to Abraham. You know, your descendants will be 400 years in a foreign land, and i will bring them back, and i will give them this land. Well, they inherited it. It'd be Joshua and that whole group. Uh, shut the mouths of lions, Daniel. Daniel. Uh, quench the fury of the flames. shadrach meshach and abednego escape the edge of the sword uh now who escaped the edge of the sword i mean david in battle some of the kings in battle uh maybe there's some. In, i would guess in the author's mind he's thinking of somebody and you'd really have to put yourself back into the literary world of 63 a.d in jerusalem and who like when we say uh shut the mouths of lions a sunday school student can say oh daniel uh quench the fury of the flames oh shadrach meshach and abednego okay escape the edge of the sword uh, i mean uh, i'm gonna have to make something up i mean who, where's that story they see there's a variety of judges there's a variety of battles uh it would not be josiah um weakness was turned to strength who was that i mean i don't have anybody you know off the top of my head but the author did he's not just making stuff up You'd have to go back to the literature. Uh, became powerful in battle. That would have to be the Maccabees. Because again, what I said before, in 167 to 164, right in that time period, all of these escaped the sword, turned its weakness to strength, uh, became powerful in battle. That could all be Maccabean events during that, that period of the rebellion against the Greeks, the Seleucid Empire in the north in Syria. Routed foreign armies. That's definitely, if you're you're moving into that time frame, that's definitely the Maccabees. That's what they did. Uh, Women received their dead back to life. Uh, You know, now you're thinking Elijah and Elisha. Uh, Or you could even go back to, if you want to go to New Testament, with Jesus, the Gospels. Uh, uh, Then you go on to verse 34 through 37. Some were tortured. Now we're going to go now, those that didn't gain the victory in this age, but are going to gain a better resurrection. Others were tortured. Uh, I write here, many of the following would be included in the account of the Maccabean revolt against the Seleucid Empire and Antiochus Epiphanes. Now, again, that would be an outstanding study to go through that revolt. It's amazing what took place. They went from a a Modin, a small city just north, well, it's west of Jerusalem. Let's say Jerusalem, Modin. In fact, the main highway going from Tel Aviv into Jerusalem, going up through all the hills, through the foothills and up into the mountainous range right here in Jerusalem. You drive right by, there's an exit going to Moden. Right there. And that is where the Maccabees. There's a, an old man, Mattathias. Now this is, not, this is not Bible. This is Maccabean. This is history. Josephus records it. Uh, the, the Maccabean accounts record it. Um, this, is what, this is not a prophetic book written by a prophet because there's no prophets at this time according to their, the way everyone understands it. But it is history mattathias has five sons mattathias is let's just say he's 90 years old i'm not sure he's a priest from uh the line of hasmon i think that's who it is the because they're going to become known as the hasmoneans one of them there's eliezer and there's judas who's going to become the, the leader he's not the oldest son uh, there's simon and there's two others i'm trying to pick their names up right here but judas becomes the leader they come to they come to oh i'm wrapping this up the solution soldiers we're going from every village, every, and they're, they're taking their influence of Hellenism. They wanted to quench Judaism and Hellenize these people because they lived to the north in Syria. This was the bridge. You know where Israel's at. It's like, here's the Mediterranean Sea. Here's the Galilee, the Dead Sea down in here. Uh, there's King's Highway on this side. And down here's Egypt. This was like the land. This is all wilderness. You can't travel out here. You travel right in this area. So everything's going back and forth through here. It's the land bridge. Down here is Egypt, controlled by Ptolemy. Now, these kings are Greeks. These are not Egyptian pharaohs, and these are not Middle Eastern people. These are Greeks that had come over with Alexander the Great, conquered the world, and his four generals, according to Daniel's prophecy and according to history, they divided up the kingdom. Ptolemies went down here. Uh, Seleucid went here. This is the Solution Empire. And they began to fight each other. And they needed Israel to be on their side. So Antiochus Epiphanes is forcing this. He's forcing them to convert to Hellenism. Uh, trying to get out rid of the law. Anyway, uh, they'd gone to different cities. They came to Modin, Modin, and uh, the public gathered there. The old man, the priest, was Mattathias, and he was supposed to take, there's a pig, he was supposed to take a sacrificial knife, and it was said, you'll be a friend of the king if you'll sacrifice this pig, and everyone will join in, hoping he does it, everyone will follow him. And instead... The old man takes the sacrificial knife and in turns and stabs one of the soldiers that was overseeing him. His boys reach in. Now, these are priests. They use knives. They're, they're meat cut. They're butchers. They, you know, well, priests, they just walk, walk around in white robes. No, priests, they sacrifice all your animals. You bring them a lamb, you bring them a goat, you bring them a bull. They, they butcher it and give the meat portions out. So these guys, whoosh, they got knives. They slay the battalion of soldiers that came out. And so now they got all these dead bodies. They hide the bodies and realize, uh-oh, <laughs> we're in trouble. And uh, so they get ready. They went up into the hills, and they, someone said they sent out a division, you know, 1,000 soldiers to find out what's going on. They killed those 1,000 soldiers, took their weapons. Some people from another village heard about it. They came and joined them. They sent out 2,000 or 5,000. They get ready. they got more people. They're hiding in the hills sling stones now they got some new weapons they kill them they send out ten thousand. now and then eventually they send out the the main general who's been fighting all the national wars they send out the number one general general Patton, comes with all the troops and and by this time they saw them in a major campaign it's all detailed a major campaign they defeat it and they drive the solutions out the only thing left is a a small battalion living in what is called the Accra Which is uh, a a fortress in Jerusalem. And the story goes on. And it's called the Maccabean. It starts off with a a family of an old man and five sons. And the whole nation, eventually, they make a peace treaty with Rome. And they establish the nation of Israel as an independent nation. It is one of the greatest stories. I mean, if the resurrection is the greatest story ever told, and you've got some great stories in the Old Testament. This, in all, in all seriousness, I know the Bible's the Bible, but this is one of the greatest stories in history. In fact, Mel Gibson said after the Passion, he was going to do the Maccabean Revolt. I haven't seen anything about that, but that would be, if he does a good job of the Maccabean Revolt, that would be worth seeing. It, it's the greatest story, I think. Uh, and that was one of the things, as I was studying, it's like, no, never, I never heard about it. And I began to study, it's like, what is this? I mean, it's, it's like, oh my gosh, this is tremendous. And I think, and I got my, see, we out of time. But I've got Maccabees. 6, I was going to read this to you. In my fantasy mind, I was going to take time and read Maccabees chapter 6. Now this is not scripture, it is in the Catholic Bible, because the Catholic Bible at the Council of Trent, right around 1500, they incorporated these into the text of scripture. Uh, And then Maccabees 7. If you take time and read those, it's, it's during this time period, 160. Uh, 7 to 164 and the king is antiochus Epiphanes, and you can see the things they're forcing them to do and people are just now the maccabees conquered kingdoms they were victorious but some of those that followed they weren't they died being persecuted because the great persecution arose and so it's just that that tension these guys god used them for victory in this age some people went to their death standing for the same principle, they'll have victory in the age to come. And that's how this this chapter ends. I'll I'll read the last verse, and then I'm done here. I've got to find the Bible instead of the Maccabees here. I'm on page, bottom page two. Of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. All of them died in faith but yet they didn't get what was promised. Now, what was promised? Christ and us being born again or the eternal resurrection. Uh, Both would fit. Since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Now, that apart from us, uh, it's like because the book is about the better covenant, it seems like they're talking about now we've got the better covenant, but the thing is they're gone into eternity. They don't get the better covenant they've got it they lived and died without it so that would seem to push it into eternity so we're in a sense are we talking about temporal and eternal and i think possibly both would fit i don't have an absolute answer for that i can argue either case it sure sounds like right now we have christ and and they do too because we have but yet you're still going to face persecution and die and not receive the victory in this age so well we must be talking eternal so just kind of leave that there. I'll leave it hang right there. Chapter 12 begins, I, I, right here, next week. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that's so easy. In other words, since we're surrounded by all these people, all these examples of faith, those are your, now again, 63 AD, this we were, these, were your, these were your people. You're surrounded by them. Now it's time for you to do your part. And that's what this is going to be. And now it's not going to be just not just faith, but now take that faith and start putting it into action and stop compromising and going back to your culture. I'll pray and we're done. Father, we do thank you again for the chance to look into these things. We ask that we may do the things you've called us to, that we would have faith, that we'd have confidence in in your word, confidence in you, but that would change our our morals, our standards that we have, that we've compromised, but also that we would do works that would follow after that faith and do the things you've called us to. Father, we do thank you again for the new birth. We thank you for the word of God, your spirit, and for Christian fellowship. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for being here.